0: If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Rory, I'm one of the pastors here, and if if you're a guest, man, we are especially excited that you have joined us. I'd love to meet you at the end of this service, just to say hi, get to know you a little bit and say thank you for being a part of a weekend here at New Life East. If you've been around here really since the beginning of the calendar year, we've been in this sort of ongoing series of conversations asking really just one question of who is God? A pretty broad question. We started by really looking at who is God as we see him portrayed in the scriptures as the Father, as the loving, caring, sort of the the being who holds all things together. And then as we got closer to Easter, we began to talk about who God is, how we see him portrayed as the Son in scriptures. We talked about how we see Jesus Christ sort of reveal the heart of the Father to us. And starting last week, Pastor Andrew sort of teed us up into this last section of it where we talk about who God is as we see him presented in scripture as the Holy Spirit. Now, for many of you, if you've grown up in a church that is very sort of centered around the Holy Spirit, maybe charismatic in its theology, you, you're sort of used to conversations about the Holy Spirit. Maybe Holy Spirit conversations are just sort of like second nature to you. For others of you, maybe you're new to faith and just talking about the Holy Spirit seems like this odd thing, like, so wait, they have a ghost in the thing, or maybe for some of you, you just grew up in a faith tradition where the Holy Spirit was not like a focal point of conversation. I I can remember my first ever church experience was going to church with my mom as a kid, and she went to a highly sort of formal liturgical Lutheran church, right, where the pastor wore like the robe and the sash, and I never understood that fashion choice, but it was fine. We would have these long processions to take communion together and I was never allowed to take communion because I refused to go to like catechism class, you know, stick it to the man. Um, And here we are today on stage. Um, So that was sort of like what I remember growing up as a kid. But I can honestly say I'm not sure that the Holy Spirit was ever really a topic of conversation in that church environment. Years go by. I become a Christian when I'm 16. I get saved, thankfully, and I get saved in a four square Pentecostal church. So they are going for it, man, all the time. The Holy Spirit is not just, like, a part of the conversation. The Holy Spirit, like, is the conversation. And I remembered, you know, sort of giving my life to Jesus and getting baptized. And then I heard someone talk about, you know, getting baptized in the Spirit. And I was like, well, what is that? And they sort of explained it to me. And I was like, well, I want that because that sounds like, you know, Christianity 2.0. Like, I I want whatever it is to, like, graduate to the next level. How do I upgrade in my Christianity? And And one of the ways that this church sort of theologically processed that, which many of you might hold to this belief, and if so, that's fine. This is not a criticism of that. But was that the marking, the sort of external marking of being filled with the Spirit was speaking in tongues. And I said, what is speaking in tongues? And then they showed me, and I was like, I think I'm good. Um, I was like, I I actually, I think you just cast a spell, and I'm not sure if that's okay or not. But I, I sort of, as I like studied and learned a little bit more, I was like, man, I want whatever that is. But it just never happened. There was never this moment where I just stood up and was like speaking in tongues and was slain in the spirit or anything like that. And some, I asked someone, a trusted leader at the time, I said, how do I, how do I make this happen? Like, how do I get this to work? And they were like, well, here's, here's, the, here's the way to do it. And I was like, man, I'm open, tell me, I'll write it down, I'll do whatever. They're like, you need to go into a closet. I was already like, I don't know about this. You need to go into a closet and you just need to start making noise. And God will use it, and you will speak in tongues. And I was a zealous young kid, so I was like, let's try it. So I go into my coat closet at home, no lights on in there, quite literally a prayer closet, and I just start making noise. And nothing happened, except my mom being very concerned about why I was in the closet making these weird sort of grumbling noises. So I had this moment as a kid where I go from this sort of highly formal Lutheran church to this that never talks about the Spirit to this highly charismatic deeply pentecostal church that feels like all we do is talk about the, the spirit and in some ways maybe too much and then i find myself sort of having a period of life rejecting that and trying to find some sort of middle ground and and i felt very theologically comfortable in those middle ground churches but what i found in those spaces is that the holy spirit in those spaces is sort of treated like the drunk uncle at a family picnic like he's really kind of fun to watch for like 30 minutes But after that, we're really good if he just kind of stays to the back or just gets in his car and heads home entirely. It was like the Holy Spirit could be there and we find him interesting for a little bit. But when he starts to like actually root around in our lives and do stuff and even like the miraculous or the ultra uh, significant moments begin to happen. Well, then we got to like keep him at arm's length. And so I have this like mutt of an experience with the Holy Spirit, especially is the way that it's played out. In church. And I don't know where you fit, sort of, in that paradigm. If you find yourself as like you're just comfortable with this conversation, maybe you're very uncomfortable. Maybe this is like triggering some things for you religiously and you weren't even aware of it. But what I find to be true about most of us, no matter where we fit in that paradigm, is that our sort of understanding and full embrace of the Holy Spirit always comes with some speed bumps and some roadblocks where we're trying to sort of figure out what it is. Mostly because the way that we talk about the Spirit is that he's like the expansion pack of God, sort of. Like we have God and then we just like add in the Holy Spirit later. And so it's this thing that's like cool and we kind of like it, but we don't have to engage with it if we really don't want to. But what's fascinating, the creed that we just read that has been around for thousands of years and has sort of marked orthodox belief throughout Christianity, the first line when it talks about the Holy Spirit is what, you know? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life. Right. So the first line about the Holy Spirit says that the Holy Spirit is in fact Lord, which is our way of saying that the Holy Spirit, when we talk about him, is not to talk about him separately from the Father or to talk about him separately from the Son. When we think of God as Trinity, we think of them all in one. This is quite literally what it means. So it means that the Spirit has authority and power and he carries the characteristics of God the Father and He reveals to us the life of Jesus Christ. To call him Lord is to say that he is a part of what we worship. But what I'm fascinated in today is that line to say that he is the giver of life. Because to say that something is the giver of life means that it certainly can't just be like an add-on to what we have going on. But it has to be something that plays a role and animates everything, undergirds everything of our being. So we're going to hop in the scriptures in a moment, but let's open up our hearts to the Lord and pray. Father God, we are thankful that we get to gather as a church community here this morning, that you have turned a a gymnasium into a tabernacle of your presence. What we know to be true is that you are with us in this very moment, that you have words to say to us, you have things to reveal to us, you have pictures to show to our minds, you have things to speak into our very souls. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you do those things? And as we sit, as we open up the scriptures, would it open up things in our lives that we have not yet noticed? We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Starting at the very beginning of scripture, because to talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to start at the beginning. See, most of the time when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we start in the book of Acts, right? This massive moment with the Spirit. And so we make it this sort of big thing. It's this party. But what actually is true about the Spirit is that He has been with us from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word used for spirit in Genesis is the word ruach, the noise you make when you clear your throat. Ruach. It's the word that the Hebrews often use to define breath, the very breath of something they used it to talk about the wind as it would push and move things around but it's often used to talk about the spirit the way that it's used here is to essentially say that god is sitting over the formless void of the world and as he creates what happens is he begins to breathe life into all things so he creates the night and the day the the sun and the moon and the stars he creates animals and dogs probably not cats and fish and horses. He creates all of the things that we see. He is the Spirit who is present from the very beginning of the creation of all things. He is not just an add-on, a throwaway piece of who God is. He is present from the very, very beginning. And what He then does, just a page later, is He creates humanity. And He says this, "...then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground." And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and and the man became a living being. This is God taking his very breath, his very spirit, and pressing it into humanity, giving them animation and a way to live and thrive. Guys, the spirit is not this thing that shows up later on in the biblical narrative. It is what is present from the very beginning. It's to simply say this, that the spirit is the very source of our own life which should sort of move us to a moment of reverence for a second. That the way the scriptures paint the picture is every time you take a breath, it is an absolute gift from God. It is a blessing from the Spirit himself that you have life in the first place. It can be cliche to say, just be thankful for every breath that you have, but this is the picture that is painted about the Spirit of God. He is the animating source of all of humanity. He is where? we come from. But what's interesting about this is that in the ancient Middle East, they were not all that interested in the question of where do we come from. That's a very like modern Western question to ask of like, where do we come from? Why do we exist? Are we just sort of this random thing that has happened because two atoms crashed together and here we are? Or is there purpose behind us? Is there intelligent life behind us? It's not really a question that the writers of the scriptures were asking. In fact, what the writers of the scriptures were more fascinated with was not where we came from. But they were really fascinated by the reality that every night they would lay their heads down and go to sleep and get eight hours, unless they had new babies, and wake up and everything was still there. They were fascinated by how they would move day, day in and day out. And the world that was created by the God of the universe was not just kind of there, but it was sustaining. It was happening. They would wake up, and some days it would be cold, other days it would be warm. Seasons would change, the lights would come down, the lights would go up, flowers would bloom. They were fascinated by the reality that this was not just a spirit who gives life. Because it's not all that theologically impressive to say that the spirit gives life, but what is fascinating about the spirit is that this spirit never stops creating And he never stops sustaining the life of God's people. He never stops creating. He never stops sustaining it. I think one of the most fascinating moments to see this is in the book of Numbers, which is a book that most of you, like, we just never read because we usually give up on our, like, year-long Bible reading plans long before then. But the book of Numbers is not just quite literally a book of Numbers. There's moments that happen where God has freed his people from the oppression and slavery of the Egyptians. He's freed them. They've been liberated. It's this beautiful moment. God sends them out and he says, I'm taking you to the promised land, a place of flourishing, beauty. And yet in between those spots of slavery and blessing, there is a long stretch of them wandering and finding themselves in the wilderness. And what God does is he sustains them. He gives them manna from heaven, some sort of food. We don't know exactly what it is, but that they're able to eat and consume and not just survive, but to thrive. But as humans often do, they don't, really, uh, they don't really love the way that God is sustaining them. They kind of have opinions about how their life should be taken care of and sustained. If you have a Bible, it's in Numbers chapter 11. This moment happens. We're, we don't have this part on the screen, but I'm going to read it. It says, the, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. They're sick of the food that God has provided for them. They say this, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, to which we would go, no cost? They were slaves, they were abused, they were yelled at, they were, they were treated like less than human. And their statement in starvation is, well, we remember the food we got to eat at no cost. They say, we remember the food we ate, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the fish, but now we have lost our appetite. We never wanna eat manna again. They sound like my three-year-old. When I give him a snack that he has loved for the last three years, and he all of a sudden has decided he hates it, and he never wants to see it again. These, these Israelites who have been saved, who have been cared for, who have been created by God, are furious at the way that God is sustaining them. And Moses, who is their leader, you all know who Moses is. Moses has this moment where he's furious now. He cries out to God and he asks God this question, I love it, he goes, God, did I create these people? As if to say, if I did, I would have done it differently. He says, God, did I create these people? Did I sustain them? Did I bring them out of Egypt? Did I give them freedom? To which God would say, no, I did all those things. Moses cries out to God and says, God, these people are too much for me to bear. Carrying them around metaphorically is too much for my shoulders to take. A very human response to life when it gets out of whack is humans. We very much just go, I can't do this anymore. But that's not who this spirit is. In fact, the spirit in this moment, he looks at Moses and he says, okay, I, I hear two problems. I hear that you don't have enough food, that they want more to eat, and that there's a leadership problem. So God looks at Moses and he says, I need you to find me 70 of the best leaders in the camp. And I need you to bring them forward. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pour out my spirit on them. They will be spirit empowered leaders. They will prophesy. They will carry the weight of the burden of leadership. I will sustain your people by leading them. He then says this, he says, I've provided manna for them, but they want meat. So I'm going to give them so much meat that it is going to start coming out of their ears and their nose and their eyes and other places. I'm going to give them so much meat they will not know what to do with. God's response to the grumbling and quarreling and the difficulties of people's lives is not to be like, well, I created you and that should be enough. This is a spirit who looks at the people that he's created, the life that he has given them and says, it's not just enough for me to give you life. My job is to sustain that very life. And I love what happens in Numbers at the end of this. Moses and God have had their little conversation. And this is what comes out. It says, now a wind went out from the Lord. Wind, that's the same word that's used in Genesis for breath, for spirit. It went out from the Lord and it drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers, which is not a Simpson character. Then they spread them out all around the camp. God is not just providing them with leadership. He's providing them with food. And the way in which he's doing it is his spirit is pushing things towards his people. It's not enough for God to simply say, I'm going to give you humans life, but I am going to give you life and then walk with you to sustain your life. The question becomes, what kind of God is this God who would do such a thing that he would not just give life to people, but he would hang around long enough to see that they thrived and flourished? When I I graduated high school, I was pretty sure I was called into ministry. Like I was pretty convinced of that, mostly because I couldn't do math. But I immediately went and interned at the church that I came to faith in And I was supposed to be there for two years. It was a two year long residency program. And after a year in, I had this moment where I sort of realized that things were really off in that church environment. Things were really unhealthy. There was some dishonesty going on and and I was like seeing enough of it that it was bothering me. But when it sort of came to a head, it was sort of at this weird spot. It was at the end of June in a calendar year, which sort of put me in this weird place of going like, well, I don't know what I can actually do if I don't do this. Like going to college was never really in my mind of an option to do. I, I was 19, so I was too young to like, I'm gonna, go be a, I'm gonna go lead a church or whatever, it didn't feel right. So I was like, I was asking all these questions and my wife at the time, you know, she, she was pretty much, we were pretty much on the same page of like, you have to sort of like step out of this. And as a 19 year old who's sort of giving everything you have to God creates a weird question of God, are you just like abandoning me in this moment? Like I'm, I'm pouring out everything I have. I'm like cleaning toilets and moving chairs and doing all this other stuff for your church. And it's like, are you just bailing on me? As I come to this realization, a week later, I was set to go on a mission trip to Haiti. And I, I, we, me and the team that we were going with, we'd flown from Illinois down to Miami. We were, the next day, we were getting ready to cross over to, to Haiti and be in Port-au-Prince. And the leader of that trip, she sort of asked the question of like, well, what you, what's like the one thing you feel like God is sort of pressing on your heart for you to like take part in while we're in Haiti this week? And for some reason, the thing that I kept feeling like God was sort of like pushing on me was, and I just said it out loud, I said, hey, I think like we should find a way to like wash some people's feet, which was a very like 19-year-old zealous Christian kid answer to things. But I was like, I feel like that's what God is sort of like laying on my heart. And everyone was like, that's really weird, man. And I was like, no, I get it. Like, I don't like feet either. And that's like the best miracle that Jesus ever did in the Bible was cleaning people's toes. So I'm like, I get it. It's odd, but I think that it's like something that we should we should do. And so we get to the place and we all sort of tell the, the people at the mission base these things. And they go, man, we have this senior home on our property that we just opened. We have like 20 or so people who are like in their 70s and 80s who because they can't contribute much to their families have just sort of been given the boot out of their life and had no place to live, no place to go. And so we've brought them here and they're living here. We're taking care of them and making sure that they're healthy and safe. They're like, what if you guys did like a spa day for them and you could wash their feet and like paint their nails? And I was like, I don't think you want me doing that, but happy to like be a part of all of that. And because I'm bad at time management, the day that we were supposed to do this, I was like, I think I was taking a nap to be totally honest. And someone comes and wakes me up and is like, hey, your team is like down there doing the thing you said you wanted to do. So I get up, I run down and there's one guy left. No lie, one guy left who has not had his feet washed, has not like had anything happen. And I'm like, can I, you know, can I do this? This was my idea. Our team says, sure. So I get down on my knees, I'm washing this dude's feet. And I remember it, I remember sort of being down on my knees washing this guy's feet. I took a photo of him from from where I was at because it just felt like a moment. It was one of those things that felt like God God had told me to do this, and I'm doing it. I took the photo. Didn't think much about it. While I'm on that trip, I sort of just out of faith decide to apply to go to this small, independent Christian university. About 30 minutes from my hometown. And I apply. Very long story short, I get accepted. Which with my GPA in high school, I should not have been accepted anywhere. They let me in. My first day driving onto campus, right in the middle of campus is this statue this massive statue of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And the whole, like, sort of premise around this statue is that the, this school is trying to create people who will go out and wash the feet of those in need. This is what it means to be a pastor and a minister. And I had a friend with me, and, and I was sort of telling him the story of how I got here, and he, he says, Man, that sounds crazy. He goes, Do you have a picture of the guy that you like wash his feet? And I do. And no lie, I take out my phone, I look at this picture, and for the very first time, I realize that the guy whose feet I washed in Haiti weeks prior had a t-shirt on from the school that I ended up being accepted into. It was this bizarre moment where I had this realization that it was as if God had had this figured out the whole time. Like he knew how it was going. But it was this reminder to me that it's not that God looks at us in those moments where life is sort of falling apart. And just his spirit just pulls back. In fact, it's those moments where the spirit presses in with us. And it's not enough for him to just look at us and be like, well, I've, I've given you life, like go figure things out. The spirit of the Lord is the spirit who sustains and continues to take care of us even in those moments. But I recognize the awkwardness of that for some of us in this room. And that many of us to call the spirit like the Lord and the giver of life feels a little bit phony because as we look around our lives right now we see more death and destruction and devastation than we do things see things that are thriving and living and growing and if you think that if you feel that as you sort of look into your own situation and recognize that to be true you're actually not alone and you're definitely not alone in the sort of biblical historical understanding of how the spirit works I think of the words of the great prophet Ezekiel. He says these words in Ezekiel 37. It says the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. In other words, what has happened for Ezekiel is the spirit has brought him into this moment where he is looking around and all he sees is death, destruction and decay. He sees things have been completely torn down to pieces. Things have not stood up the way that they were supposed to. And I would imagine that for some of you, that's how your life feels. You've had moments where you've tried to figure out your calling and your vocation and what you've done is wrestled with the Lord going, God, I feel like there's more here. But as you look at it, it just looks like things are falling to pieces. You feel like God has called you to something, but the route to get to it just isn't playing out. Maybe for some of you, you look at relationships that you have you look at your own marriages even. And Sundays are really like perfect. You come in, everything's great, but behind closed doors, there are these moments where you go, I feel like this is just being ripped apart. And the question that's being asked is, God, are you sustaining this or are you just abandoning me? If you're a new parent in the room, you know what that feeling is like too, trying to put your infant down at three in the morning and you're rocking your kid and you're trying to get him to sleep. And you're going, God, are you gonna step in and..." Do something here, and nothing will test your faith more than praying that your three your three month old will go to sleep. This is what Ezekiel has happened. He stands around and he sees this valley of dry bones and all the things that are decaying. And he looks around and he has this moment where the Spirit asks him this question. Can we throw that scripture back up there for me, Jake? That'll work too. We can start there. Here's the truth. There's nothing too dead for you that the Spirit can't resurrect. There's nothing in your life that has fallen to shambles too much that the Spirit cannot resurrect it. The Spirit looks at Ezekiel and he simply asks this question, Son of man, can these bones live? As you look around your life and see the places of death, destruction, and decay, the question that the Spirit begins to ask all of us is, Son of man, can these bones live? live and the beautiful thing about the spirit is if the answer is yes then they will live there's a a couple that goes here at new life east their name's Chet and Liz Kiefer some of you know Chet and Liz i remember the first time i met Chet and Liz i just thought to myself this is like the coolest couple i have ever met in my life and here's why i thought that liz every time liz i would see liz coming in and out of new life east she always had her sunglasses on i was like man subtle flex sunglasses in the building like so cool! I wish I could wear sunglasses in the building. If I did, I think everyone would think I was like hungover or something. So I don't do that. I'm not cool enough. But I remember thinking, man, this is such such a cool family. Man, so glad that they're a part of new life. He's got to have lunch with them, get to know them a little bit. And what I found out was that the reason that Liz was wearing sunglasses every time she walked in and out was she had been having these these issues with her eyes, where where like she could, she was almost like blinded if there was any source of light going on at all which was creating these like massive headaches for her. It was creating issues with like ears, throat, nose, all that so stuff. It was creating like a tumultuous experience for her. So they finally went to a doctor and had her checked out and the doctor just looked at her and was like, you have to go see a neurologist. And the way that Liz tells it is when the doctor said this, the way that she framed it was sort of like, you, you could have a real problem here, which many of you have been in that spot in a hospital or with a doctor, where they've looked at you and not really given you an answer, but they say something that's like, ah, okay. And for Liz, the way that she tells it is she kind of left sort of asking the question of like, God, are you going to let me live? Or am, am, am I just going to die? This was the question that she was asking herself. So one day Liz showed up to New Life East and Set through a worship service and it was moving. It was a normal experience for her. And she said, as soon as service was over, a woman made a beeline for her. It was a woman she'd never met before, never talked to, never had an interaction with. And this woman looked at her and just said, I think the spirit wants me to tell you something. And if I was Liz, I would have been like, okay, what, what is this going to be? And the woman looked at her and said, God wants me to tell you that you are not only going to live, but you are going to live a long life. Liz standing there terrified day in and day out that what is going on with her and her body might just lead to her early demise. What the Spirit spoke to her was not just will you live, not just will you make it, not just will it be okay, but you are going to live a long life. Listen, for all of you in this room, there is nothing too dead that the Spirit can't resurrect. And some of you, as you look around your life, you see all those things that have sort of died or broken down. I think of the stories of families in our church who have dreams of having kids and have had those things ripped away from them prematurely. There's no dream that's too dead that the Spirit can't resurrect. I think of people... are trying to figure out what to do with their life to honor jesus to bring goodness back into the world there is nothing too dead that the spirit can't resurrect i think of marriages that have been ripped apart at the seams that the husband and wife are trying to put back together and figure out there is no relationship too broken that the spirit can't resurrect new life east would you stand with me this morning As we get ready to sing in just a moment, I want to read the last part of this moment in Ezekiel's vision to you. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Jumping down to verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. New Life East, read the people of God. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And here's what I want you to hear. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. New Life East, would you lift your hands as we talk to Jesus for just a moment. Father God, we recognize that the Spirit has not abandoned us, that the Spirit is actually the Spirit who has given us our very existence, that every time we take a deep breath, we know that you are with us, but that it is not enough for you to be the Spirit who creates, but that you are the Spirit who sustains every part of our lives, whether it be financially, relationally, whatever it is that you are the God who does not abandon your people after creation, but you are the God who continues to walk with us, but even more that you are the God who when that life falls apart, you stand with us in those spaces and simply whisper to us, son of man, can these bones live? And then what you do in your best work spirit is begin to speak and resurrect the things that look too far gone for life to come to them. So right now, we open our hearts to you with awe and with wonder to recognize that you are the God who brings even the most dead things back to life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: You give life. You are love. You bring light to the dark.
2: Friends, would you hold your communion elements in your hands? Would you repeat this? Would you respond to this? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. That's when you say, we lift them up to the Lord. Your turn. There we go. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Do that now. God, thank you giving us life. My friends, take a breath and feel the breath enter your lungs. That comes from Jesus. He sustains life. So Psalm 54 says that he's the sustainer of our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for being in control of the world. How it spins, our place on it. If you've been a believer in Jesus for long, you know that when you say yes to Jesus, it doesn't mean that everything in your life all of a sudden goes great. It doesn't mean that you've just arrived at a place. And in a lot of ways it means that life gets really complicated and hard <laughs> as we learn how to surrender the pieces and parts of our lives. And what I think communion, the table explains the best is that in the person of Jesus, coming to the end for him was death on a cross and the breaking of something so would you hold this wafer in your hand would you break it the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed when he took bread he broke it and he said this is my body which will be broken for you there will be parts of your lives that are are broken and falling apart and it still isn't out of his hand because he has a plan, which is resurrection. You may not see it yet. But in faith, would you receive this bread? Thank you, Jesus, for sustaining us. You are the bread of life. And the same night after supper, he took the cup, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you is what jesus says he is still sustaining you as we wait for him would you receive this cup thank you jesus i believe that there is faith that is still rising up among our church right now as you're thinking of the places in your life where the the bones are dead would you sing life into them would you speak life into these dry and weary, weary places of your life where there seems to be no hope? This is an opportunity for, for you, church, to honor the Lord by, by throwing it at him and saying, God, move. God, move. God, move. God, move. All the earth. Come on, church, lift your voice. Let's sing it. And all the
1: earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. We
0: life ease would you open your hands to receive this today may the lord bless you and keep you may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you may the lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and all god's people said amen hey thank you guys so much for joining us our prayer team will be up front If you'd love to talk with someone about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to step into a relationship with the Spirit, we'd love to have that. Or if you just need someone to pray with you, our team would be happy to do that as well. We hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next weekend.